0: the why me project an exclusive presentation of faith strong today
1: I want to be as real as we can with this Holly, because if we're to if we're to pull back the curtain you and I don't necessarily deep dive into our guest's life because we want to ask questions that are uh, authentic because we really don't know what the answers are
2: yeah exactly and we never know where our conversation will go
1: so i've heard bits and pieces of our guests this week and Jenny's story But I I didn't want to as soon as I heard bits and pieces, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like that spoiler alert where I'm like, I need to I need to read more and find out more. But I I refrain from doing so.
2: Mm -hmm. And I'm a little concerned that I might get emotional during this episode, just on the little Coles notes that I have seen about Jenny's life. So, um, guys, I'm excited for this conversation.
1: Jenny, love it. How are you?
2: I'm doing good.
0: Thank you. There,
1: there's so many there's so many avenues in which I feel like we can go through your, your life and kind of um, maneuver around some of the things that you've been through. But I think always starting at the beginning is the best way to start a conversation because you know a little little about us just like we know a little about you. So Jenny, who are you and where did you come from?
0: Uh, well, my name is Jenny Levitt, and I live down in Florida. I was raised here in Florida. Probably one of the biggest events in my life was when I was just 22. Um, I had already been married for a few years and and had a couple of kids and found out that I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. Um, Didn't know at the time that I didn't have very long to live, or at least that was the prognosis. And uh, also did not know at the time that a lot of those lessons that I was going to learn in that season of my life, we're gonna come back over and over and over again in all the different things that my husband and I and our family would go through.
1: 22, married. Was faith a part of your life before
0: that? Um, Yeah, my husband and I were both, um, we were not raised in Christian homes. I tell people that I guess what you would call us is like first generation born again Christians. Okay. but we both got saved really young and my husband was in the military and got saved overseas in Scotland when he was stationed over there. And, um, neither one of us really got saved knowing anything about salvation. Um, thank God, God brought us into a a wonderful church family where we could get mentored and discipled and, um, you know, really grounded and rooted. And, um, that's another piece that I didn't realize was going to be so crucial, not just going through the cancer, but through everything else that our family um, went yeah. through. You know, over the years, we just I'm sure we're going to dive a little deeper into all that. But we've we've gone through a lot of a lot of mess over the years. And I think if we didn't have that foundation of faith from no. um, early on. Um, I don't know. I don't know how we would have done it. Like even with the cancer, I remember um, when I had to get the I did six months of chemo and then 56 radiation treatments and multiple surgeries. And um, in the middle of the radiation treatments, I had to go um, to Gainesville, Florida, which was about an hour and a half away from where I lived at the time. And I had to basically live there for about five weeks Hmm. because I had to have radiation morning and then wait six hours and have it in the afternoon as well. And I remember thinking to myself, so I would have been probably about 21 years old, looking around and seeing people that were railing at God, mad at God, you know, Mm -hmm. I know you guys talk about the why me, a lot of them, why me, why I, you know, I've been a good person, why I just don't understand this. And I remember looking around and thinking, I don't know how people are going through this stuff without Jesus, like, there was times that it was only his strength that I could actually get up and go get in the little shuttle that would take me back for my next radiation treatment, you know, because I just, it just wiped me out at the end of that year when they declared me in remission, I remember my husband's name is Myron and I remember telling Myron, honey, if it comes back, I'm, I can't go through that again. That was, Mm -hmm. that was horrible. I just can't go through that again. And he was like, Yes, you will, because you love me, you love the boys, you're going to fight, (laughs) which thank God I've been in remission ever since then. I've had lots and lots of issues, um, health-related, but they're all related to the radiation and the chemo, Yeah, Uh, you know, long-term effects of that. The actual cancer, I've been cancer-free since November of 1998. Amazing.
2: I mean, you were so young, and then you get this essential, like, terminal diagnosis, like, this Mm -hmm. is it. And I'm sure you and your husband had so many hopes and dreams. How did that shift your perspective of the future in that season? I think anybody that's faced with the reality
0: of their own death, I think it's going to shape the way you move forward. Like it just made me so much more grateful for life, um, for all the opportunities, I've always been the kind of woman who uh, would rather make memories versus like nice jewelry or, you know, any of that stuff. Um, But that just like solidified it that uh, when the boys were growing up, we have two boys when they were growing up. um, One of our favorite things to do for Christmas instead of a bunch of gifts was. Um, like annual passes to the theme parks. We live in Orlando. We live near Orlando. So, yeah,
2: yeah, might as well. Um, Makes
0: sense. But I look back now, especially, um, kind of a little spoiler about the accident that happened in 2015. And I look back now and some of the cherished memories I have before then were those same trips that we took and the memories that we made things that you can't, you can't take that away. I'll always have those memories. Um, so it definitely gave me a renewed, like, um, sense of purpose in life. And um, that's that's actually one of the things that, one of the ways that we saw God work good out of even something as bad as cancer. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I can't tell you how many people would come to me and, or my husband, and say, hey, you know, my mom was just diagnosed with cancer. Can you talk to her? Or... My coworker just found out that she's got cancer, you know, and just being able to come alongside people the way people did for us, um, that was definitely one of the ways that good came out of it and that our lives kind of shifted from what we thought our life would be.
1: When you hear the word cancer, it's already, uh, And then you hear stage four and you're told that it's terminal did you did you automatically assume that that was it this is it i'm I'm done, or was there that fight and you like, no, I'm gonna prove that they're wrong
0: a little both to be honest with you, there were so many months when they misdiagnosed me, um which is actually pretty common, especially when you're young like that, and not only was I really young, but the only history of any cancer um that we knew of at the time was my dad's side of the family had some prostate cancer, but that's it. Like, so this was totally unheard of in our family. So they weren't even looking for cancer. So there were so many months of the not knowing that finally knowing it was almost like, okay, now I have a target that I can hit something that I can, I can target in prayer. We know how to attack this with medical treatments. Like Mm. so there's that aspect of it. But then there was the other aspect um, that of the unknown. And my biggest mind battle at the time was uh, our boys. You know, Jacob was three months old when Mm. I was diagnosed. Wow. Um, And Caleb wasn't even quite three. I think he had just turned three. Um, So, I mean, they were little. And that was my biggest, my biggest mind battle is my boys. Like what would happen? God, I know that I'm right with you. I settled that with you. You know, I know that I'm right with you. So if you call me home, I know where I'm going. But my boys, what, how is Myron going to be a single dad to a baby, a three month old Hmm. baby and a, and a three year old. Hmm. And I remember one night going out in the living room and I was about middle of the night couldn't sleep. And I was like, God, I am not getting up until you give me some peace about this. I can't, I can't keep battling the the fatigue and everything from the treatments and these mind battles. I just can't. And I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half. I don't know how long it was that I was just wrestling with God about that. And he gave me such a peace that night And it was like, um, you know, you hear people say that God spoke to them. And if you're a believer, you know it's not like you're somebody's actually in the room. But it was undeniably He spoke to me and just said they were yours, they were mine before they were yours. I Mm. love them. I'm gonna take care of them whether I call you home or not. And such a peace is that peace that passes all understanding that you can't describe to somebody. They have to experience it. That peace came on me. That was another learning lesson that I didn't realize was going to be a learning lesson, um, until much later, um, the night of the accident in 2015, that that very same, um, conversation with God came back to me. Um, but that, that piece stayed with me so much that even when the boys were growing up, there's probably things that they, I shouldn't have let them do, but I was okay (laughs) okay with it. You know, I was like, Uh. God, they're yours. He, he just totally, uh, You know, help me settle that. So both ways to answer your question.
1: So despite having this faith, do you still is there still the anxiety and the worry when it comes to doctor's appointments? And like, will this come back? Is this going to be something that I'm going to have to deal with? Despite the fact that we're looking at 1998 and we're in 2023, do you still get that that seed of doubt, that seed of worry?
0: Oh, that's such a good question, because it that has evolved a little bit over time, too. Early on, I don't know, I'd say probably maybe the first five or ten years, um, it was that seed of doubt of what if it comes back? What if it comes mm. back? You know, every every little thing they would want to send me for more testing, like things that a normal person, it would just be like, Meh, you know, we'll check it next year when you come in. Now they would send me for a whole barrage of tests. But then, I don't know, somewhere in the last 10 years or so, it became the anxiety like shifted to more of the dread that every little thing is going to mm. send me for that barrage of testing. You know. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just probably around, I think it was around 2013 is when I have had at least one surgery a year since then. Um, sometimes two or three. And it's like my thyroid was the first to go. That was um, precancerous. And they said that was they could almost conclusively say it's from the radiation. It's one of the first things to go. Um, And I was radiated from my jaw down to my pelvis. So that was one of the first things to go. And then it's just been like one thing after another after another. Jacob, our 17 year old son, while he was 17 in 2015, He asked me in 2014, he said, Mom, I just don't understand. Why would they have treated you, treated the cancer that you had with something that they know causes cancer or causes problems? And I said, Son, I I had a 25% chance of living. Hmm. So at that point, they were just doing whatever they could, and I'm alive. So sometimes you have to take the bad with the, the good and I'm alive all these years later I'm alive so sometimes I still have to like remind myself of that and preach to myself that when I get that anxiety I've got to be completely honest with you I've got some health issues going on right now with my abdomen that are due to radiation scarring mm-hmm. and um, you know they're saying it's like spider webs down in my abdomen from the radiation and I get frustrated just like anybody else would You know, but it's just one of those things. You just got to deal with it one, one issue at a time. And, um, I have to keep going to God about it and keep asking for, for help to get
2: through it. You mentally are so tough. And that's one of the, I I think, incredible things about those who battle any kind of health situation is like, yeah, you're physically battling, but so much of it also is in your mind and it can be exhausting For you with the the mental battle to choose God, to choose a a healthy, positive perspective, what were some of the things that you leaned into during those rough days to keep choosing uh, God and and positivity as best you could?
0: Yeah. Some of those very same choices are ones that I found myself over and over in the years coming back to too. And earlier when I talked about being able to come alongside people that were going through cancer, some of the very same, um, I call them like my toolbox, the things mm-hmm. that I turn to yeah. when, when it's like, okay, you know, I don't always, I, I would like to say that I'm, I'm always on point. I always, you know, go straight for the toolbox. That's not necessarily the case. You know, Sometimes sometimes you just have a really bad day, bad couple days. And then it's yeah. like, what am I doing? I know better than this. Um, So one of the one of the go to and I know it seems so simple and people might think it's cliche, but it's scripture. Um, When I was going through cancer, one of the biggest things that helped me mentally, little scraps of paper and our kids were a little, really little. So sometimes it would be a sticky note or a piece of construction paper or whatever. Um, But. By the bathroom mirror. So when I was nauseous, you know, it would be a little reminder that, um, you know, no matter what I'm going through, that he has not left me. He's not forsaken me. Or, you know, when I'm laying in my bed because I'm just miserable and can't get up, you know, a verse over by my by the light switch reminding me that somehow he's going to work this all for our good you know, for the people that love him, just those little things. And I would put them in places where I would actually see them. Um, And I can't, I mean, I still do that all these years later. I have one sitting right here on my computer. Um, So that was a really, really big one. Um, Having trusted people that I know um, I can talk to, and I know that they love me, but they're also going to speak the truth.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: that's, that's crucial for me as well. Journaling has always re- really been big for me too. Um, and sometimes it's like just journaling prayers. Sometimes it's actually working through some things. Um, music, music is a really big one for me. I love music, love it. And, uh, I can't tell you how many songs have played at just the right time, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're like, and maybe it's a song I've heard 50 times, but you don't pay attention to the words. And then that one time you're driving down the road and you're really having a miserable time or you're really rustling through some things and that song comes on and all of a sudden you pay attention to the words that time. And it's like, oh, thank you, God, I needed that reminder.
1: I love the analogy of the toolbox because every time we go through things, we get to add another tool to that box and yep. you 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 deal with cancer and you're dealing with you know being uh a mom of young growing boys, but sometimes there's tools that you even wish that you didn't have, and that you wish that you didn't have to put them in the toolbox and i'm and I'm talking about you you had alluded to it as well, and that was in uh, 2015 uh, a new tool that you had to add to the toolbox if you could tell the the story of um that day and kind of what led up to it
0: yep. So um, my husband and I were in the ministry. Um, we had been up at the church it was a Saturday and all four of us, my husband and I and our two sons. So at that time, Caleb, our oldest, was 20 and Jacob, our youngest, was 17. And we had been up at the church all day. We had a special like um, kind of like a rock opera that our church had put on. And so we know when you're volunteers, you're the first ones there. You're the last ones. You the know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so You know, it was really late, like midnight late. And my husband and I had just gotten home. We lived about 25 minutes or so from the church. And our boys had driven together in Caleb, our oldest. Um, he had a Ford Escape at the time. And to make a long story short, they were um, T-boned by a drunk driver. And um, our 17-year-old Jacob died on the scene, and then Caleb almost died. Uh, It was really touch and go for about two weeks there. And I literally have to start at the top of his head and just kind of work my way down to remember he had a traumatic brain injury. He broke his neck, fractured every bone in his face, blew out both of his eardrums, Mm -hmm. um, cut his, one of his, um, jug, his veins. I don't think it was a jugular, but cut one of them broke three ribs, broke his pelvis in three spots, broke his feet. Like there was just, it was, it was really, really bad. And, um, so one of the things that I alluded to earlier that when I had cancer and I was really wrestling with God about trusting him with the boys and what would happen, The night of the accident, before we knew for sure that it was them, um, Myron had received a call. So he had gone on to the accident scene. If you have ever experienced a traumatic, shocking event like that, there's so much confusion. Hmm. Um, And then you're in shock, too. So he had seen Jacob on the roadway covered in a sheet, thought it was Jacob. But the officers on the scene had said, no, 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 no. No, your son's on the on the way to the hospital. That's that's not your son. And there was just so much confusion. So I didn't know any of that. I'm back at home pacing back and forth, praying, trying to get a hold of um, the police department. And anyway, it's just a mess. And I remember I still remember pacing back and forth, going and standing by the dining room um, table. And I said, God, OK, that's enough. That's enough. You told me all those years ago that the boys were yours and that you loved them more than you loved me. So I still believe that that's the case. And no matter what happened, I am still choosing, choosing to trust you, that you love them and that they're yours. And I didn't even know at that time that Jacob had already passed away. And but I God knew. And God knew that I needed to remember that reference point. I needed to pull that out and hold on to that, that, um, that they were his. Cause in, in the next three to four days, there was a lot of mental, as you can imagine. I mean, really it went on past that, but for the first three or four days, it was horrible because Myron and I weren't raised in Christian homes, but our boys were. And when no. you've been. Raised in Christian homes and your parents are in ministry like there's even jokes about preacher's kids and you know what and so we knew that there is always that potential that they can walk it talk it but not really believe it and not really know Jesus personally, for themselves, mm-hmm. and I just needed that real assurance that, God, I just need to know that that he's right with you, so those first few days, especially, were horrible, and that was with God reminding me, you told me you trusted me, I told you they're mine, and if I can take just a second longer to tell you what finally broke that, on the fourth day, I couldn't sleep, got up, I had already Cleaned the kitchen, taking a walk and was back in the house by six o'clock in the morning. Like it was one of those nights. And, um, I was in there the boys bedroom and some folks from the church had offered to help set up his memorial at the church. And so they had already said, you know, if you want to go ahead and just get together, anything you want to put on the tables, we'll come by and we'll get it. And they were awesome. I don't, again, church community. It's just yeah. part of the toolbox. And, um, So I was looking through his stuff and Jacob was very artsy. Uh, He was the the um, he could paint, he could draw, he could leather tool, he could wood burn. He was really good, but he wasn't a writer. And so when I saw this poem, I thought for sure it was just like something for school. So I just put it aside and something nudged me. No, pay attention to that. So I turned the page and Jacob loved his name. So he had like signed it with a flourish, you know, and then put Jacob Levitt, February 2015. So that made me read it. And the whole poem was called Holding Me. The whole poem was about him being a sinful man. He knows what he's like on the inside. He knows he's not worthy of God's forgiveness. But then he comes to realize how much God loves him and he accepts him in his life. The last two verses are about him going to the heavenly city, dancing on the streets of gold and meeting his savior face to face.
2: Wow!
0: And he has signed and dated it February of 2015. So just six months before. Mm. And it's like, God was reminding me, see, I, I told you they're mine. I'm going to, I took care of them six months beforehand. I made sure that he was ready.
2: It's, uh, just amazing how God can leave those clues and just speak to us in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, I just honestly can't imagine, like, what you lived is one of my greatest fears. And so your words of encouragement are, I, I think will, will help a lot of parents when you have kids mm-hmm. and you love them so much and you're like, what's, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to be okay? Um, now, I mean, like, you're, you and your husband are like in two places, grieving the loss of one. And, you know, supporting, you know, the other one, uh, mm-hmm. Caleb, is fighting for his life. How were you able to na- navigate that?
0: Well, we leaned on a lot of those, the toolbox things that I was talking about. Our, yeah. our church community, we, we are blessed to be part of a worldwide fellowship of churches. And we literally had churches of people that we know from China and India, like, Um, sending us cards, sending us money, like practical things. We had local churches that we would come home from the hospital and they cleaned our house and freshened our sheets because we had family coming in from out of town. Things like that, that our minds were so foggy and so like not even thinking about that stuff. They, they set up the rental cars for us. They got people from the airport, They brought us food to the hospital all those practical things i i truly don't know what we would have done like i really don't Mm -hmm. i i don't know what people in those situations without a supportive community do i i don't know and the hospital that we were at uh i hesitate to say this because their trauma unit was phenomenal i mean we've written letters their trauma unit was just awesome Uh, their interventions, I believe, um, were instrumental in Caleb surviving. Um, but there were like their grief, there was no grief counseling. There was no, Hey, here's some resources for you. There was none of that. Um, a lot of the, the things that we've, um, had to learn, we had to seek out on our own. We had to seek the help or we had to look back on our own life. My husband, my husband's a pastor, so he's really good at kind of uh, mining things for lessons that you learn anyway. Um, So, you know, he, one of the things he said over and over again is um, one of the things I haven't really touched on and I won't go into it much, but there was a period of our lives when we went through a little homeless stretch too, because he was sent home on workman's comp from his job for an injury a year and a half. And mm-hmm. we had at that time, we had two cars, two houses, we lost it all. Um, just you can't survive when you're sent home like that on 40% of your pay. And um, so things like that, that he would say, God was faithful to us. Then um, we never went hungry. You know, we always had a, food o- a roof over our head. It may have been a pay by the week hotel, but we always mm-hmm. had a roof over our head. And he was like, you know, and when when you went through cancer, uh, God always provided. He always led us to the right resources. So leaning heavily on the lessons that we learned um, in our younger years and then leaning heavily on the support that, thank God, we had in place. Like, I really don't know what we would have done uh, without the support that we had in place. That's actually one reason why we. We have a great heart for other people that are going through similar situations because we, we did have that, and still we actually um, back to one of your questions from earlier, Johnny, is the about us not being um, raised in the faith. When I mentioned that part, um, we had been Christians for quite some time though. When the accident happened, probably no. over 20 years. And we were good, solid Christians. We were in the ministry and it still rocked us to the core. You know, it will something like that will challenge every everything that you say you believe and you have to really evaluate it. And do I really believe that I'm going to see Jacob again? Why, you know, do I really believe that Christ did rise again? And that we're going to rise again and that there really is a heaven. It will challenge everything that you believe. And that is with us having a good, solid foundation. So our heart really is to help other people because we realize not everybody. We've met quite a few people that have experienced similar things that don't have that solid foundation. And a lot of them are really floundering. Um, and we know we personally know at least one family that the family itself is fractured apart, mm. um, which is sad. But that's one reason why we want our story to get out there so that we can help people know there's nothing super fancy or special about us. We've just chosen to keep keep on keeping on one step at a time. Um, and when we have those days that we realize, what am I doing here? Like, what, why am I letting myself think of this? When you get to that place, just go back to your toolbox, say, okay, you know, what, what can I do today that will help me get back where I need to be? Yeah. Um,
1: Before we get to your why me moment, before we talk about uh, uh, God Prince, I do want to ask you this, Um, not not that I want to highlight the driver, but I mean, there's, there's something also with forgiveness, And what happened to the gentleman who hit your two boys?
0: Uh, So. um, Or should I not ask that question? No, 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 you can. (laughs) I'm just trying to make it shorter. So they, there was a witness. It was a dark, rainy night and it was out in the country because we lived out in the country. So there weren't any streetlights. There was one witness about a mile away that said she thought that she saw that Caleb ran the red light, um, which fast forward. Eventually, that was completely dropped. The witness said she wasn't sure and everything. But anyway, that prolonged the whole proceeding for about a year while they investigated that and the driver was 18. He Mm -hmm. was drunk um, almost three times the legal limit in Florida. And I don't remember the exact speed, but Caleb, when they did the analysis of the intersection and the lights, I don't know how the investigators do all that. But Caleb was doing exactly the speed limit going through the through that intersection. The other driver was going about 30 or 35 miles per hour over the speed limit when he went through Mm -hmm. there. Um, So the investigators all believe that he was the one that was going through the wrong way. But because there was no way to conclusively prove it, the judge threw the book at him. But in the state of Florida, it was like one night in jail, um, 200 hours of of community service and anger management class. He lost his license for six months. Um, I think there might have been like an anti lock device on his car for a time. But it was his first defense. And they could not prove that he was the at fault. They could just prove that he was drunk while driving. Um, so I will say that the forgiveness aspect was different for all three of us. Um, yeah. I had to really. It took me longer. Um, well, I know No, I think probably out all of along of us was was Caleb the longest. Um, but we all three had to work through it in different ways. Um, my husband blew my mind when he wanted to go talk to the 18 year old boys. And when the other family's um, attorney, they were like, why? And he said, because I was 18 and I wasn't a Christian then. And I was doing stupid stuff like that too. And I want them to know that I've forgiven them. Uh And the, Fathers of the two boys wouldn't let him actually talk to him, but they did talk to Myron and Myron came home that day and he said, you know, I don't know. I didn't get to talk to them, but I do feel better because I feel like I was obedient, that God wanted me to make that step. And so I do. I feel like I've forgiven them. Caleb's was more involved because he had Caleb and I both wound up um, doing some sessions with a grief counselor who specializes in that. And one of the things that she told him was, you have got to deal with the unforgiveness towards God and towards your dad and towards the other driver. And he was like, what? I'm not mad at God and I'm not mad at my dad. I'm mad at the other driver. And, and she was like, OK, Caleb. All right. I'll see you in the next session. So <laughs> one of those things that as they started working through that and he said he still remembers um, he was up at the church by himself one time and he was during the day for some, I think he was painting or something and he went in the sanctuary and he said he was by himself. So he's just like yelling at God and just like venting and, you know, and he said that that he could tell God was listening. And that at the end it was just that still quiet voice. That was like, he said it wasn't in judgment or anything. It was like, are, are you done now? Are we Okay. All right. Can we move forward now? Hmm. And he said that something just broke and that he didn't realize until a couple of days later that he wasn't mad at the driver anymore. He wasn't mad at God anymore. And he didn't realize that he had been mad at his dad for some things, but he was. And he didn't realize that that was gone. So that wow. unforgiveness was tied to his anger and bitterness and um, he said even people in the church and co-workers were like, what is different about you? Hmm. Because he had just, it, it broke in his life. Um, that forgiveness is a huge piece and it can, it can really, it can cause all those things. It can cause even people around you to be like, you know, don't talk to him. Obviously he's, I do he's mad at something. Just don't talk to him.
2: Yeah. Don't provoke. So, him <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh wow!
0: Yeah.
1: So we had we had mentioned it. Um, you do have a book, which was uh, which is available now. We encourage you to uh, get it. It's called God Prince. Why write that book?
0: Um, well, kind of what Holly was saying just a few minutes ago about how what some of what I was sharing encourages her as a parent. I've always told people like don't take out the God factor when mm. you're parenting. All of us are human and we all have things. We wish we could look back and have do overs and we can't. Um, But just like me finding that poem is a reminder that God is still working behind the scenes. Um, That was a big thing for me, writing our story. If we're going to go, all three of us have said, and you know, if we're going to go through something like this, um, we want the devil to get a black guy. From this, we want him to be like, "Mm, no, this is not for nothing. You know, God is going to use our testimony to help other people. And then the actual name of the book is years ago, my husband um, preached a sermon on recognizing the footprints of Satan in your life. Like when you can see that he's messing around, you know, in your life.
2: Yeah. And
0: I like to flip that idea on its head and say, what about those times when you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God just did something? God just orchestrated something. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's um, a scripture coming back to your mind when you needed it. Maybe it's that song on the radio that came at just the right time. Maybe it's like me finding that poem at exactly the the morning that I needed to find it. Uh, Whatever that is, um, that is what I think of as a God print moment where his his fingerprints are all over it. There's no denying that, that that was him. And and I think those those times are when he gets the most glory, too, because it's like undeniable that that was not something that I orchestrated. It wasn't something anybody orchestrated. That was purely him.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the book, a great reflection on, you know, those like you said, the, the God Prince. But I mean, again, unfortunately, we don't learn these things without getting some scars along the way and getting our own bruises. And so as being the Why Me Project, you know, going through all of those moments of your life, can you think of a significant Why Me moment?
0: Yes. Yes, actually. The night of the accident, we were in the little room off the trauma unit in the emergency room. In the same conversation that the three um, state troopers came in to tell us, well, first of all, the medical personnel had just come in and they had just told us, we have to take Caleb in for emergency exploratory surgery. They softened it, but basically they were saying, we're not sure if he's going to survive. We don't normally let parents go back, but we're going to let you go back if you want to. Um, And we had just come back into the room from seeing him. He literally had blood coming out eyes, nose, mouth, ear, like everywhere. He was swollen, bruised. He looked horrible. And we had just come back in from that. And three state troopers walk in and tell us, um, first of all, that Caleb may be charged with vehicular manslaughter Because of what the other witness said she thought she saw. So we need to be prepared for that. And then right on the heels of that, they give us a baggie that has Jacob's class ring. Um, He had just finished his second week of his senior year and had just gotten that class ring. Uh, Mm -hmm. His class ring, the money that was in his pocket um, and his bloody wallet. And it was all in this clear baggie that they just brought in. And so they lay these bombshells on us. He might be charged with vehicular manslaughter. Oh, and then your other son, we finally did find him. He's not at the hospital. He's in the morgue. That's why we didn't know where he was. Oh, my goodness. They lay this on us. And they leave the room and we're in this little tiny closet room that has a little two-seater love seat and a little table. And I turn into Myron and I said, Myron, I just I don't understand why. Why would God heal me from cancer in 1998 and then just so my heart can be ripped out? You know, 17 years later, like I why I do not understand why would God do that to me? I just don't understand. And Myron was like, I don't I don't know. I don't know. And we never that night. We never did get an answer to that. And I don't know, there's those first several months are still foggy. Like there's still lots of times when we'll be like, I don't really remember when that happened or how it happened. So at some point in that first six months, maybe. um, I remember trying to seek some answers for that same question and talking to a dear friend of mine who I would consider one of my mentors in the faith and her basically telling me. You can't ask God those questions like you can't. You just have to trust, you know, and I was like. Think, and I, I was respectful to her because I really do respect her, but I was thinking I need an answer like to my mm. why question. I that's not it's not good enough for me. Like, yeah, it's not going it. to cut it. My core. I need I need an answer.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, so then when Caleb was transferred, he went from the trauma ICU unit to a step down unit to another unit and then was finally transferred to an inpatient rehab unit for three months and he had to learn how to walk again like the whole 9 yards. And when he was in the the inpatient rehab unit, people that I worked with donated leave days so that I could I was out of work for 4 months and I was completely paid and I was with yeah. him during the day. And I wasn't even thinking about that why me question and just out of nowhere like in the middle of the day Caleb said something to the effect of how grateful he was that I was there with him and he didn't know what he would do um, without me. I had to help him. I mean, he had a broken right arm and a broken left leg and he was in a sea collar, so he couldn't he couldn't do any. He couldn't move. He couldn't. He couldn't do anything without help. And out of nowhere, that thought from that night in the emergency room came back to me. Why you you're here now, aren't you? You're here Mm -hmm. when he needed you the most. Who else would be able to be here for your son that did survive? Who else would he be comfortable with helping him, you know, not to be graphic, but go, go to the bathroom and, you know, all those things that like are so personal and who else, who else would he be comfortable with doing that? And I remember telling Myron that night, I said, I don't know that I will know all of the answers to the why me, but I do feel like God gave me some. And that was because he knew that I still had another son that needed me. And I have actually since told people that, and Myron has told people, God's not intimidated by our questions. Um, in fact, over and over in scripture, he actually welcomes them. He, he says, come and let us reason together. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. And so some of my why me, I think, was answered. And then obviously, I don't know. You know, there are there are other aspects of it. Maybe I won't know until eternity one day. But I think that he knew that I needed enough of an answer um, to be able to go forward in confidence and knowing that he does understand and he he is somehow in, still in control, even when it seems like he's not, and he is working it for the good of those that love him, even when we don't see it.
1: Last question for you: mm-hmm. How is Caleb now?
0: Uh, he is actually doing phenomenal. Um, most people. That don't know um, would never realize how how bad he was he just barely has a limp mm. um, he's always been super modest even before the accident he him and Jacob uh, were the kind of kids we had a pool and they would wear their swimsuits with a t-shirt in the pool they just were always <laughs> modest yeah. which is another reason why it was really a big deal that I was able to be there in the in the rehab facility with him and mm. um, But he it took him about a year um, just to be able to walk again. And then with a traumatic brain injury, they tell you that it's your brain itself. The organ takes about two years for it to stabilize to the point where they'll be able to tell what the long term issues are. And we kind of joke around. He he is actually getting married the 23rd of this month. Oh, sweet. Super exciting. And so his his fiance already knows this, but we joke around one of the long term issues that he deals with with the brain injury is um some short term memory issues and then some word finding issues. But the short term uh, memory, we've we've joked with him, oh, that's going to come in handy one day when you're married and, sh- and your wife's <laughs> like, didn't you take the trash out? And he'll be like, did you tell me to take the trash out? I don't remember you telling me to take the trash out. But... The fiance already knows this. So she's like, don't even be trying it. Don't try do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. She's going to like heart.
2: write it down. She'll have a whole Stop system. On his hand. Yeah. The honey do yeah. list will be strong in this relationship. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Amazing. God Prince, which is uh, available now. You can go to Jenny Lovett, J E N N Y L E A V I double T dot com. Jenny, we appreciate you so much uh, for sharing your heart and your incredible story.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate
1: it. I think having to go through one thing. Yeah is enough than having to deal with the second thing. Well, I mean, second and third, the loss of a son and then the rehabilitation of her other son. And it's yeah. just, yeah, yeah, I'd be like, you know, you know what? I I have enough. I'm good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. And just all the different kinds of grief, um, not mm. just Jenny's had to go through, but her whole family, you know, the, the grief of lost dreams, the grief of mm. being sick and not being able to live out your twenties the way you thought you could and constant health issues, just, That's a lot to navigate, and I just I so appreciate her willingness to share what she has learned along the way because hopefully as we go through our own grief situations, because we all face them, um, just being able to pull from stories like Jenny's will help us navigate those lows with tools for our toolbox.
1: What I do appreciate uh, when the video will come out eventually is how Jenny's face lit up when we had the chance to ask, how is Caleb doing now? Yeah, because I didn't want us to go through and we hear of all these things, but not get some sort of update to it. So, I mean, it is amazing to uh, hear that not only is he doing better, that he's also getting married. So congratulations to him. Yeah. And it's just a, it, I think it was a nice kind of cherry on top, if you will, that, that that there's some good that also comes from this.
2: Yeah, this weekend, he'll start a new chapter. His mom yeah. has a new chapter with the book. And yeah. um yeah, just I feel very honored that she was so open and honest with us today.
1: Yeah, thank you, uh, all the projectors who continually download and check out our podcast, whether you're downloading on Apple podcast or Spotify, and then also following us on all the different socials, Holly.
2: Yeah, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and then, of course, YouTube. Please uh, check out our our YouTube channel. It's a little hard to find right now, so if you subscribe, if you ring the bell, all of that for the notifications, that will definitely help us hopefully encourage more people who are going through these situations as well. So that's how you can help us, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, love to hear from you, and you can also check out (laughs) faithstrongtoday.com.